welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. This week, I am really excited to be able to bring you Antonio Garcia. And Antonio and I got connected a little while back, and he he also has a podcast about fatherhood, and we're going to be talking about that. But as always, we start these shows with talking about being a dad, and he's a father of two. He's got a daughter and a son, six and three, um, and we're going to be chatting about that. Antonio, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure, Chris. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here as well. And first and foremost, what I want to do is I want to turn the clock back in time. I know your son's the older, your daughter's the younger, but I want to have you go back in time. You had your son first and your daughter is a little over three now. So I want to turn the clock back in time to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. Talk to me about that and what that meant to you, especially after having a son first. Wow, I don't know if I've ever thought about this. I think there was kind of some satisfaction in that we were now going to have one of each gender. And that felt like it completed our family unit in this really nice way. I think I was excited because it was not known to me. Javier is familiar. I'm a male. He's a male. Like This was relatable and... And so I was excited by everything that a, that a daughter would mean for my own learning. I think I was probably a little fearful also because of the unknowns, but I felt really good overall. I felt excited about it and, and positive about it and looking forward to the challenge and, and just kind of grateful that we are now balanced as four. Now, you just talked about that there was some fear there, and I've heard that before. I've heard that from other dads that sometimes there's some fear in raising daughters. As you look at your daughter, I mean, she's three right now, but in raising a daughter today, what would you say is your biggest fear? I think it's largely a fear of misogyny and how that permeates culture and the U.S. where we live and the limited window I feel I have to equip her with skills and perspectives and confidence and strength and bravery and, and, and these things that are, I think, really important to survive and navigate something like that. So it felt really big, like there's the societal forces there that are uncontrollable, that are threatening, that are dangerous, and, and they exist too for Javier, my son, but in different ways. And so I felt kind of a, a acutely aware of of all of these things that I was maybe passive about, you know, the way that women are represented in media, the way that, that we talk about young women and girls. So I think all of that kind of came rushing in and, and maybe fueled rationally or not a fear about like not screwing it up. Yeah, not screwing it up is definitely something that I think I know I felt along the way, especially I was an only child. And I, I know that in listening to your show, you were an only child for quite a few years until you were 12 too. And I think that going in, when, especially when you're an only child, I think that uh, for me, I felt there is that feeling of, I don't want to screw this up because I don't have any other experience of what is it like to, to have children in your life and what that means. 
Now, you talked about the learning too, and that you had to go through some learning yourself, especially after having a son, because you mentioned, you know, he's a boy, I'm, you know, I'm a man, you know, we, I, I have the experience, I understand that, and I can get that. Now, for being a father to a daughter, you said you had to go through some learning. What were some of the biggest learning components, learning moments, things that you felt like you needed to learn or that you've had to learn in the first three years of her life? I think a big part of it, and I don't know if it was a learning or kind of a, an awakening, but I came up listening to a lot of hip hop. That's the music I listened to. It shaped and influenced me as a young person. It's music that I still listen to. It's music that I play as a DJ. Hip hop made me in a lot of ways. And I think it's not a surprise to people that hip hop is rampant with misogyny in ways that I, I don't see in other genres of music. And it's something that I was conscious of, but maybe not sensitive to, if, if I can make that distinction. Like I, I was aware that not all, but lyrics in that music and the way that it kind of objectifies women or I think kind of minimizes healthy, valuable sexual relationships. I was aware of that. But when Amaya was born, I couldn't not hear it in music that I was listening to and music from my past. I was listening to it with new ears and it really grossed me out. Like I was like, wow, you know, not that any of this was ever like okay or cool to me, but I was able to just ignore it or see it as machismo and bravado and, and kind of be able to sort of classify it away. And now it was like right in my face. And I was, I was hearing this stuff almost for the first time and thinking like, wow, I can't play this. I can't play this around my kids, obviously, <laughs> but like, I can't really play this anymore for myself and feel about it the same way and like, and enjoy it the same way. And I see that in movies too, like kind of the way that sex is portrayed or female characters are portrayed or you know, these things that I, I, again, I was conscious of, but now I was like highly sensitive to and asking myself, like, how much of this has changed the way you think about women or the way that you want to raise your daughter? And, you know, are those two things incongruent? And how do I reconcile those things and unlearn things? And, I, and I'm not done. You know, I think Amaya's birth was the beginning of that. And I hope that it will keep being a driver for me to be a better man and be more discerning about the, the sort of content I consume and the things that I expose myself to. Talk to me a little bit about that, because I think that some fathers that might be listening might say to themselves, this isn't something that impacts me. Now, I would challenge and say that anyone that has a daughter today has to understand that there is misogyny out there. And like you said, in music, in the ads that we see, in the television that we watch, and that the first step to being a engaged father is understanding that and understanding that you have to be one of the people that are going to be able to be a voice, an advocate, someone that can stand up for the daughters that are out there. Now, I feel strongly about that. Not every father is going to feel strongly about it. What would you say to them if someone, you know, that's listening is saying, ah, you know, it's just society. It's what it is, you know, and I can't do anything about it. What would you say to them and how would you encourage them to take the journey that you're taking? I think two things come to mind right away. One is the responsibility I have for my son. I think it's really critical that I channel some of the things that I'm feeling in age-appropriate ways to him because I think it's even more of a responsibility for how boys are raised and men are raised and how they conduct themselves in the world and relate to women. That's more important. Like that's the actual work, you know, if you want to talk about 
I can't improve society or change society. I think it starts in really small ways with the people we do have influence over, which are young men in our lives, whether they're our, our own children or not. So that's one piece is like, I'm thinking very differently about these kinds of topics and how to talk about them with my son so that he grows up with respect and appreciation for women and some of the things that like, I think are critical to changing some of this. On the other side of it, for someone who is like, well, you know, so what? There's this, you know, scantily clad girl in a commercial for something. And like, what does that have to do with my daughter or me? Like I can separate the two. One's a media representation and the other is my, like my life and the day-to-day things. And I think that makes sense. I could see why people would separate those two, but I feel like ads, media, film, music, those are not made in some kind of weird vacuum. Like those are expressions of current times and how people really do feel. And they may look and, and sound differently than day-to-day life or news, but I think they're you know, that's that's art imitating life always. And so I think it's kind of a slippery thing if you don't acknowledge that those things do have impact. There's a guy out there watching it that will cross paths with your daughter in school, in friend groups, somewhere in life. And I hope that that person has been able to separate that from their reality and that when they meet your daughter, they're in the right headspace and haven't allowed that to sort of filter in and affect how they interact with her. That would be my provocation back is maybe you can handle it, but think of all the guys out there who are watching this, all the people who are watching this, who can't make that distinction and can't handle that and who will then encounter young girls and and women in their lives. How are they coming to those interactions? These are such important topics and such important things to be able to not only talk to other men about, but also to, to end up talking to our kids about. Now, your daughter's going to be too young probably at this point to start having these conversations. But as you've started this learning process, you were talking about having to have age-appropriate conversations with your son. But as you think about the conversations you're going to need to have with your daughter in an age-appropriate way, are there specific topics that you want to tackle first to start talking to her about? Especially because, as you said earlier, media, I mean, she's watching things all the time. Her eyes are open. And she's seeing things whether we like it or not. Now, I know that as parents, as fathers, we can safeguard some things in regards to what we allow them to see or don't allow them to see. But inevitably, there's going to be other things that they do see. So how have you thought about that? I think right now, while I have control over the remote, you know, I think the best examples that I can give her, even at three, like, I don't think it's too young. I mean, like you said, her eyes are wide open and she's, she's seeing things and she's modeling her behavior. She's, she's looking to everybody in, in her family, me and my wife, Maris, and her brother, Javier, for how to be in the world. And so a really easy example that I can set is how I interact with Maris, my wife, in front of Amaya. Like, that's formative to see the two adults in, in her life and how they interact the way I talk to Maris, the way I argue with Maris, comfort Maris, like all of those interactions are little data points in her constant collection as she shapes what will be a a worldview. And so that's one thing is like, I can think more deeply about how I choose to show up in my own family unit and how I treat the woman who's most important to her in her life right now. And I think anything that I can do not to shield her from content and media and perspectives that like you said, that's going to flood in eventually and the dam is going to break and she's going to get it sooner or later. And so I feel like rather than a defensive play, it's an offensive play to equip her with skills and perspectives 
and ways of thinking about herself so that when that happens, she's prepared and ready and resolute and steadfast in her knowledge of self and appreciation for what she has and a better filtration system than she would have had otherwise to be able to to look at this stuff and appreciate it for what it is and say, you know, I'm going to pick and choose what parts of this I want to emulate and what parts of this I, I don't want to be a part of. And I believe that'll impact like who she becomes friends with and how she spends time and who she eventually is attracted to. And and I don't think it's an exaggeration to talk about these really early things at three. At three, you can teach about consent. There's a lot of things that I think are hard and big topics, but if you find the right resources, you can bring them down to a level that your kid is able to process and internalize. Now, one of the other things that you are doing is you're telling your story through other fathers and you're bringing out the stories of other fathers through a podcast called Dad Well. And I've had an opportunity to be able to listen to some of the episodes. And one of the things that I think is really unique about the show is the fact that you are talking to creators. You're talking to artists and other creators about their creative process and their art, but also about fatherhood. Talk to me about the genesis of your podcast and what was it about creators specifically that made you want to not only tell their creator story as artists, as as creators, but really talking to them even more importantly about fatherhood and trying to merge those two together. I talk about it in the, in the in the prologue for the show, but the biggest driver was my inability to reconcile these two identities as a designer and as an artist and a you know a musician and a creative person and this huge bucket list of stuff I wanted to do as a maker against what I perceived to be my ultimate responsibility, which was to grow up two children into human beings that contribute to society in some sort of meaningful way. And, and what an awesome responsibility that is. And I just couldn't see how a commitment to that scaling a human and getting all these other creative things and, and personal passions done. I couldn't see how those could fit into the day, the week, year over year. And and I started to feel very resentful about my kids, about the idea of kids and what they they felt like time thieves. And I hated feeling possessive about my time in the studio and my creative time and spending time with them, which I also love. I love more. And it was really hard. And so I decided to interview people who are artists, musicians, creative people, entrepreneurs who have thriving independent creative practices and who I also knew and who had witnessed in real life, them as kick-ass fathers and thought, okay, they're doing it. What's the secret? So the show is really about that, about trying to understand in tactical terms, the sort of processes and mechanisms and things they have to make that possible, but also a philosophical approach to parenting and to creative endeavors. And somewhere in there is the the truth. And that's what I'm trying to get at for myself. And it's a very selfish research project. <laughs> so talk to me about your biggest takeaways so far. You've had a couple of, I'm going to say seasons in regards to the number of podcasts that you've got. So in these interviews that you've had, what has been the biggest takeaway and learning that you've taken from it? Personally. A couple of things come to mind. I think the there's an unrest in most creative people I know because we, we've got this drive to like bring things into existence that weren't there before and to shape these things. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. It might not seem like it, but I think it's a commitment to time. And increasingly, we're, we measure that commitment, how good it is, with these really perverse metrics how many likes a thing gets or how many followers a person has or how many downloads something earns. And and so we're, we're comparing what could just be 
simple, beautiful expressions of ideas and maybe things to, to move people emotionally or otherwise. And we're questioning whether or not it's worth doing against some other weird social media metric or whether or not you can monetize that thing or scale that thing. And, and so the one thing that, that I've learned is like, stop doing that. <laughs> like stop measuring yourself against random people on the internet and what they do and who they quote unquote influence has no bearing on whether or not the thing you're working on or the thing you're making is of value. It just doesn't. You know, I know that I don't have a lot of listeners for my show compared to your show to compared to other shows, but that doesn't that doesn't nullify the effort that I put into making that thing. So one is around measurement. And then the other I think is around pacing and time. I feel like there's a real pressure and, and the sense of urgency to I felt it in making this show. I had to release a certain number of episodes in a certain amount of time to feel like I was making progress. And I think sometimes progress horizons ought to be much longer months instead of weeks and, and years instead of months and, and, and start to think about what is, what is this thing that you're about building this business or launching this product or whatever this creative endeavor is, what does it look like when you stretch that out a little bit and how can you be kinder to yourself in the pacing of things so that you don't give up hope on realizing it, but you, you accommodate life and you adapt for all the other things that inevitably are going to pull your mind and time away from getting that thing done. And also, I guess, as you've had quite a few episodes now, and as you look back to the episodes that you've had, what has been the most profound episode that you've done so far or the most meaningful episode that you've done so far and why? When I started making the show, I didn't know the level of depth that we would go in some of these conversations. My show is twice as long, I think, as your average episode. Most of the shows are an hour and change. And I think what I was, I'm not going to say it was pleasantly surprised, but I think just struck by how deep I was able to go with a lot of these men. And, and many of them are friends. And so there's already a, a trust there. And, and I think that allows people to go deeper emotionally. But I recorded them opportunistically, you know, as schedules allowed, and then reordered the episodes in a way that would put at least one cathartic, heavy duty, emotional episode in each season. I thought back to back, that would just wipe people out. And people were like, wow, this show is a, a downer. I can't listen to this. And I feel like if you listen to those particular episodes, they're kind of bookended by like very kind of happy-go-lucky perspectives that balance it out. But I say those are my favorite episodes because of, of that level of depth. I don't think there's a lot of spaces where in particular straight cisgendered men can go deep emotionally. There aren't a lot of spaces. This is why I, I love shows like yours is like, let's make space to talk about stuff that like isn't sports or tech or whatever. Like let's let's get into it, you know? And and so those episodes in particular stand out. One is with Michael Kaiser, another is with Brad Bischoff, and there's a few others in there. And we openly cry in the episode. So if that's not your thing, skip those episodes. But I challenge you to sit in that and feel it <laughs> because it's real. And I appreciate the trust those guys gave me and, and their willingness to dig in. Yeah, I, I think that when you can go deep and you can have those those conversations where people are vulnerable and they're willing to share their stories, I think that that really allows for others to truly learn. Because too often as men, we're told in society, whether it be directly or indirectly, we're told to hold in those emotions to not be willing to be vulnerable, to man up, to go it alone. And I think sometimes it's hard for men to say, I don't know, have no clue what I'm doing. I need help. And instead they push through. So I know for me, 
And it sounds like for you, for the experiences that you've had in your show, it sounds like that the opportunity to be able to allow for men to show that vulnerability allows for you to be able to learn and grow from them too. A hundred percent, Chris. Yeah, that's, like I said, it was, it was a selfish project in a lot of ways. And, and that's, that's maybe the biggest one that I wasn't expecting is in that space that, and you don't have to host a podcast to make space, choosing to spend time talking about something else besides the surface level things that as men, I think we're most comfortable in. That's a way of digging in, you know, and, and, and that might not work with every one of your friends, but it's possible. And I think there's something powerful about carving out time or making a phone call or hitting somebody up and going a little deeper than the conversations you might have at a barbecue or a bar or, or, or wherever. And I think that's really important. I think we need to do that a whole lot more because men are, I think in some cases, like hurting, not having that outlet or that access. And I think maybe one of the coolest things that I learned in conversations with some of these guys who didn't have great examples or who didn't have men in their lives at all, dads, uncles, coaches, otherwise, you know, really miss that. The choices that they're making with their kids now, just one generation from them are 180 degrees different. And I think that's super powerful that like, just because you had a relationship like this with your dad or no relationship at all, you have power to flip that and change that story and write an all new narrative and do that with your kids. You don't have to wait. That doesn't have to take generations to undo. You can do that right now. And I think that's incredibly empowering. You can do it. And it's not an easy thing. It's not going to be an overnight thing, especially if you have to unlearn some things along the way. I agree with you completely in regards to the fact that men are hurting. And I think that the lack of vulnerability and lack of willingness to just reach out and talk to others leads to mental health issues across the board. And it, I mean, every person, no matter if you're a man or a woman, you need people in your in your camp. You need someone on your side. You need someone you can talk to and not just have that internal dialogue within yourself. And whether that's your neighbor, whether that's listening to Antonio or myself, you know, you need to have somebody that you can relate to and you can talk to. Hopefully it's one-on-one or it can be virtually too. You know, that's one of the reasons that we started Dads with Daughters by Fathering Together. That's one of the reasons we started the community was to allow for fathers to have the opportunity to connect and make community with one another and to be as vulnerable as they were willing to be. And I think that that is so important. Now, Antonio, I always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve even deeper into you as a dad. So are you ready? Let's do it. In one word, what is fatherhood? Patience. When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? I can't take credit for this one other than like I hired this person. Our nanny started a little mantra with my daughter every morning as they, you know, brush teeth and were, you know, face to face with themselves in the mirror. And it was this really simple phrasing of like, I'm, I'm brave and I'm strong and I'm smart and I'm silly. And this kind of affirmation, like I overheard it passing by and I was like, what is this? And she's like, oh, I've been doing this with Amaya, you know, since I started. And I was like, this is so beautiful and so amazing. And I just stole it. I just built on it. And, and now it's to the point where I can ask Amaya and without prompting, she works through these affirmations. And I'm so proud that like she's internalizing this at three. I'm like, oh man, if you hold on to this way of thinking about yourself, sky's the limit. You are an unstoppable force. So I can't take credit for that. But in, in seeing her say these things and that they led with like, I'm brave and I'm strong and like, I'm beautiful was like, 
towards the bottom of the list. I was just really proud of that. Self-esteem is so important when it comes to women and young women and keeping and being able to have those affirmations or starting from an early age. We did something in Dads with Daughters a while back with Dove, who Mm -hmm. created this whole, whole huge curriculum to help young women, to help girls, to be able to affirm their self-esteem from an earlier age. And I learned a lot through that process. Um, but it's, it is a curriculum that I'll just throw out there to all of you that if you want to start having uh, these affirmations, but also start to have these conversations with your daughters, especially between the ages of eight and 13, eight and 14, that's a perfect time to be able to look at the curriculum that Dove offers. And you can just Google search, and I'll put something in the notes today, but if you just Google search Dove and self-esteem, you're going to find out more about that. Now, if I was to talk to your kids today and ask them this question, how would they describe you as a dad? Oh man, that is so dangerous. On my bad days, they'd probably say that I had a quick temper. I can really lay into my son about things that I think are important from a disciplinary standpoint, you know, like cleaning up after yourself and (laughs) those sorts of things. So on those days, you know, dad can go from zero to a hundred real quick. But I think in most instances, I think they would say that I don't dumb things down for them. I I tell them the truth and I tell them to my best abilities in ways that I think they can, they can process. And I think that comes from like, I have just a lot of respect for my kids, even though they're so young, I treat them like people, not like kids. So I'd say that Poppy tells the truth and Poppy keeps it real. I think the fact that, that I just, I love on them and I'm, I'm rough and tumble with them, you know, like tickling and wrestling. And, you know, that's, that's equal parts for my daughter and, and my son. In fact, my daughter's more athletic and wants to roughhouse more than my son does. You know, he's the empathetic artist and she's the mixed martial artist. And so I'd say that, that I love when I'm hard. And, and then I think that I keep them safe and that I made an environment in our house where they are cared for and loved and safe. And I think that's, I think it's really important that kids have some space that feels safe and sound and where they can just be themselves. And I try to make a house where that's possible. I'm not awesome at it, but but it's something that I, I keep in mind all the time. Well, you've got to learn every day. And that's what it's all about, is that we're not going to be perfect, but we can just keep trying and keep getting better day by day and learn from the things that we know that we may have made mistakes on, but also learn from our kids too. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? My own dad, for sure. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to talk about this without getting emotional, but he's, I was just thinking the other day after some frustrating instance, and I was reflecting with Maris, my wife, and and I said, you know, I can count one time in my whole life at 42 years old that I can remember my dad being mad at me, like legit mad. And even that, it wasn't like he was throwing pots and pans and screaming at me. Like it was, it was his version of mad, which is by many measures, not mad at all. And, and how I thought, man, am I just not remembering all the moments or is he truly like that even keel? And, and in that instant, I was like, I gotta be more like that. <laughs> like he just doesn't get bent out of shape. And it's not that he doesn't care. He cares deeply. I don't know that I've met a, a more caring and loving person. You know, he's the dude that pulls over on the side of the road to help somebody with a flat in the rain just because he thinks that's important or because he wants to help. And so I, you know, I don't know anybody that loves unconditionally like my dad and that is so patient. So uh, yeah, by far real life example. Uh, I'm just really 
grateful for him. Now, you've given a lot of advice today, things that you've learned along the way, things that you're still learning along the way. But what would what advice would you give to other dads in leaving today? Admit your mistakes to your kids, like as close to the infraction as you can. I think it's important that they see us as human beings, you know, capable of making mistakes, can see our imperfections and that all people, including grownups, have flaws and may let you down. I mean, they're really good. They know when you let them down, like they know when you screwed up, they're not stupid. So, you know, to get out ahead of that and to say, hey, you know, I lost my cool or I let you down or whatever it is. And to talk about that with your kids and to apologize for that. And I'm not talking about being soft or wishy-washy if that's not your, if that starts to sound like what I'm describing. I'm just saying, be honest about your mistakes as a human being. I think it'll help them treat themselves with, with grace when they screw up. And I think it'll sort of normalize learning and trying and not getting things right, which I think is what we want our kids to live into, you know, where they can take risks and explore things and not be afraid of getting it wrong. And if we can make it a habit by admitting all the instances where we screw up, they're like, oh, okay, this is a normal thing. Like the people screw up, you know, I'm not a failure because of that, or my father was perfect. And so how can I ever measure up? That's a tall order. Like, don't tell that story. Own up to mistakes. Your kids always forgive you. And I just think it's a healthy mindset to have. It is a healthy mindset to have. Now, we, I want to say thank you for being here today. Now, if people want to find you, find Dadwell, where's the best place for them to go? Dadwell.co. D-A-D-W-E-L-L.co. From there, you can get to everything else and social media and podcast and links galore. So that's the best place to start. And I guess I'll throw out there that if someone that is listening, if you that are listening are a creator, an artist, I'm sure Antonio would love to hear from you. Antonio, it, should they just go to the website or should, is there a email address they should email to be able to talk to you further? Yeah, please. Talking with you has reinvigorated in me a, a desire to get back into it. I, I've taken a bit of a break from the show. So I want to say thanks for that. Inviting me on has reignited something there for me. And I'm always looking for proof that this is possible. So you can email me at info at dadwell.co. If you've got a story to tell or you've got feedback, that's direct in my inbox. Probably the best way to connect. Well, we'll put links in the notes today. Antonio, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thanks for all you're doing to be able to help fathers be better fathers. And I wish you all the best. Oh, Chris, thanks for having me on the show. It was awesome. I really appreciate the time and the interest and all those great questions. I'm going to be thinking about this all weekend long. So thanks for that. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more. You will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time 
We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be